Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the football weekend review and weekday preview. We'll get into Monday night football, weekday college football on Wednesday. Yes, Wednesday and Thursday. And then we'll recap the weekend that was. Also get to your voicemails. Uh, you know, I'm stuck. in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. We just got fresh off of watching a, a very ugly Sunday night game between the Chiefs and the Colts and an upset for the Colts would be just completely wounded Chiefs team. I was surprised I kept sending Mahomes out there, but uh, what's going on, Colin? A double-digit underdog goes into Arrowhead and wins the game, and the comparison that I can make is when you go to the roulette wheel and you're there with eight other people surrounded and you're just plowing money on double zero, plowing money on zero. You got money one through 36 all over the place. You've covered everything on the board except maybe the number 14. Where does that ball land on the roulette wheel? 14. The entire board gets cleaned off. Vegas wins, sweeps all the chips up off the table. That's exactly what happened tonight with the Colts winning outright as 11-point dogs. Yeah, I can't believe – I mean, granted, I know that the Chiefs' entire offensive line, their entire defensive line, their only really good run stuffer and Jones got hurt. The receivers were hurt. Mahomes was hurt. But I was still surprised that they couldn't throw on the Colts more. It's tough when you lose that many people to injury. So I had one of those weekends where it w- could have went wrong, went wrong. So I had a bad NFL Sunday, which, which is fine because it wasn't – you know, the, the, uh, there was a couple unlucky plays. I lost a teaser because the Texans scored on like third and five with a minute 50 to go at, the, at midfield. You know, if they just got a first down or didn't. And just all they had to do was not score. They didn't have any timeouts. That sucked. And so did the, the Chargers not getting one yard for the first half over. But whatever. Mm-hmm. I, my, my day was based on the Bucks and the Bucks under. And that was just – a bad call. So that cost me my day today in the NFL. But my my weekend just kept getting worse and worse. So I had one of those weekends, as you always do, where everything, what could go wrong, did. And these weekends are always going to happen. And then you'll have weekends where everything that, you know, can go right does. 
And I've had some of those weekends so far in the NFL. So I was more than overdue for a losing weekend in the NFL, but I had no problem with my NFL record today. But college, it's a great Friday. College ended up a little plus, like barely plus. I gave away everything that I won on Friday, a little less. But I mean, I went through, I mark all my games, lucky or unlucky or just normal, right? And go back and see what the, you know, we look at the box scores and see what the real score should have been. And if I, I'm trying not to be emotional, I always check with someone. Is I lucky here or not? My, the luckiest game, and we'll get to this, is SMU. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe they came back. I had them in a parlay with Michigan because I couldn't get three. And I was like, are you kidding me? SMU was going to lose the toss after I sweat Michigan. An insane comeback for SMU. That was the only game I'd mark lucky. I had Tennessee and the under lose on one play. I figured there's no way I lose both. And then the, they turn it over and the referee sets a screen. I had LSU and Ball State first half. They ended up rolling, both of them, uh, but didn't cover in the first half. LSU somehow went backwards at the end of the half instead of kicking a field goal and punted it. They had like 400 yards in the first half, too. I had West Virginia. I don't know how they didn't cover. New Mexico State, woof. I think they outgained Liberty by 100. And Liberty scored a touchdown late to go up 17-10. Then New Mexico had it like first and goal at the five and fumbled. That was absolutely brutal. And then I have MLB going where I lose the Yankees under with two outs. I have... The Rays giving up more on earned runs and can't score with the bases loaded. And then today I have the my all the Chiefs and all my survivor picks. All my survivor leagues are gone. And I watched my Cardinals future give up a lead in the ninth inning with two outs when they could have went up two one. And then I see the Nats up two one of the six and bring Corbin in and give up seven runs for my Nats future. So and then just cap it off with the uh, every Chief getting hurt. So all my survivor leagues go up in flames. I was happy this weekend just ended so we can get back in the lab and get to work. And we'll get to Monday Night Football in a second. But that was a kind of a recap of my weekend. I'm happy that it's over. As far as me for NFL goes, my big game of the day, what I had the most money on, it was on the Action app, was the Raiders and the Bears going on over in London. And, you know, it was probably my biggest swing game in, in my, my Super Contest Gold, too. And it, these London games for me, after I do the adjusted net yards per play and I kind of find out that the Bears and the Raiders are pretty much offset, they're barely just, you know, a, a hair below negative on both sides of the ball with yards per play uh, and I look at this game and I say it shouldn't be five it would be more like on a neutral field it should be like Bears minus three and a half or Bears minus three after I you know make the assumption that about what the number is and I get done from a mathematical perspective it's important with these London games to see which team is more prepared because that's not an easy trip especially for a team like a team like Oakland who would have to come from Oakland but they played in Indianapolis last week a victory by a touchdown and flew straight over to London and that was a huge advantage because the families are over there they get they're sightseeing in. They're comfortable with the time change. This is Derek Carr's, I think, third game being there before. The Bears flew from O'Hare to London on Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon, complete disorganization. And so Oakland was probably like uh, easily money-wise the biggest money that I had down today. And it showed in the first half, 17-0 to at the end of the first half. Raiders were rolling. That third quarter had me in sweats, complete cold sweats. Bears roared back, figure out that they're in London. Uh, but Oakland was able to pull it out in the fourth quarter and win outright as, as uh, you know five-point underdogs, but it eventually steamed to six and a half. Nice steam there. But these London games, the players' families use it as vacations. So that was a huge part of the handicap. Seeing the Jags, some of the worst Jags teams of all time, go over to London and have success when they have proper time to get there and proper time to prepare. Just to recap some of what happened in the NFL today, we still have a – well, the Chiefs are no longer undefeated, but we have two undefeated teams still. The Patriots, who I feel like have played every 
all the worst teams in the NFL somehow already. So, yeah, they're 4-0. Their offense still isn't right. I mean, Brady threw for much of They're playing garbage team. With the, um, with the Giants on deck on Thursday. And then the Jets and Browns. Holy shit. We're going to get to the Browns and 49ers in just a second. I'll go through some of these games here real quick. The Seattle game was wild. Pete Carroll tried to cost his team the game, but they ended up winning 30-29. That game, another shootout in that series. Imagine not having Justin Tucker as your kicker. Speaking of Justin Tucker... The one thing I did give right today is on the pod, NFL podcast last week, I said, write this down. I'm, this is recorded. Ravens by three. It's just what happens in the series. Mm-hmm. Mason Rudolph had a scary hit, but it looks like he'll be okay, which is good. The Steelers are in trouble. Buffalo, Tennessee is interesting. Fire Mike Grable. I mean, what does he do? Cairo Santos misses four field goals in that game. And after he's already 0 for 3, Grable sends him out down seven to try a 50-yarder or whatever it was. I mean, what are you doing? There was only like four or five minutes left. I do have to give credit to the Bills punter, who was excellent. It was part of my reason I liked the Titans today. Both punters were actually really good. Arizona beats Cincinnati at 26-23. They get their first win of the year in a game of two terrible teams. (laughs) New Orleans, I got to tip my hat to Teddy Bridgewater. He took my money today. My bet was against him in that offense, against the Bucs defense. I think the Bucs defense... Bucks secondary is terrible. I figured they'd get more pressure and have a better scheme against what the Saints want to do with their short passing. But Bridgewater actually threw the ball downfield sometimes. 26 of 34, mm-hmm. 314 yards, four touchdowns. The crowd was chanting, Teddy, Teddy. So, Teddy, tip of the cap. Minnesota, that's probably a bet regret of mine. They beat the Giants 28-10. You had to figure they were going to come out throwing if you can throw and you have receivers, you're going to move the ball against the Giants. Uh, yeah, well, Adam Thielen getting seven receipts and Stephon Diggs only having three. Those were the two that made the most noise this week about not throwing the ball. And, uh, you know, it was apparent that uh, that was the game plan today. Uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of bitching and moaning coming out of that wide receiver core, and, and they got fed today. Yeah, Jets, Eagles misleading final score. Eagles won 31-6. They had two defensive touchdowns. I mean, the Jets gave out 10 sacks. That's the key to the game right there. The Jets only had 130 yards. The Eagles only had 260 yards of offense. Just an ugly game. Uh, We talked about New England easily beating Washington. Carolina in a shootout against Jacksonville between two young quarterbacks who are playing really well. Houston, I mean, Atlanta's a mess right now. Dan Quinn might be gone. I don't know how that team really puts it together. They have so many issues all over the place, even though they have a ton of talent. Denver gets its first win. The Chargers just, they're so hurt. I feel bad for them. There's so many injuries. They don't get the touchdown at the end of the half. They get a punt return in the second half. Denver's defense played well. They're obviously a desperate team going for their first win of the year. In a playing in a, a team that doesn't really have home field advantage. And then Green Bay, a statement win at Dallas. Defense looked good, forcing a lot of turnovers, a lot of havoc. That's what Green Bay's doing so far with the mm. two Smiths on the outside. So that's your recap for today's NFL. Let's get to Monday night football. It's between one of the other two undefeated teams this year, and that is the San Francisco Giants. They're 3-0, and taking on the 2-2 and Cleveland Browns. I will say that there's a couple interesting things to note here. I mean, San Fran is 3-0, and but they looked awful against Pittsburgh. They won at Cincinnati, and they won at Tampa Bay, who kind of gave the game away. So it's not the most impressive 3-0 you'll ever see. But there's more bad teams than normal, I think, this year in the NFL. Uh, but they're, they're winning, and that's what matters. And they had a bye before this game. So they've had 15 days to prepare for this game, while Cleveland you know, is coming off an emotional road win in divisions. This will be their second road game. They're going across country. So the preparation advantage is going to heavily favor the 49ers, which run – 
some more complex things. I mean, they're solid. Their defensive coordinator comes from the Pete Carroll tree, a lot of cover three. They'll bring a safety down, really try to stop the run. Shanahan, he has complex offenses, a lot of motion, his zone blocking schemes. I think that they'll be able to run someone, Cleveland, take advantage of their linebackers with some play action. But coming off of a bye, I think is, is just a huge advantage. Steve Wilkes, the Browns defensive coordinator, was in Arizona last year. And Arizona did beat San Fran twice last year, which is interesting. Although C.J. Beathard was the quarterback for San Francisco, it's a little different right now. Two main injuries that you want to focus on for this game tomorrow is the left tackle situation for the 49ers. Um, so Joe Staley is out, and you'll have Justin Skewell, and he's going to be going against Miles Garrett. So, you know, San Fran wants to run the ball a lot, and they want to get – you know, it's a, it's a run first, run base, I should say, offense – so, and you know, quick passing, they want to get the ball out quick, but they're going to have to help him out, especially in passing situations. Also, on the San Fran injury front, one of their starting corners, Nikhil Witherspoon, has been playing, he's struggling with the pass, he's playing really well this year. He's out, so they're going to be starting an undrafted rookie against the Browns team that's now getting healthier in the receiving core. It looks like, I believe... All their starting receivers will be back. Landry's going to be back. Obviously, you have OBJ. And Higgins back in that offense does a lot for Baker Mayfield, who finally wasn't abandoning the pocket against the Ravens last week. But this offensive line is going to have a hands full. It's a great def- – the 49ers have a great defensive line, very deep. They're going to throw a lot at the Browns. who are, They're going to want to feature Chubb. I actually think this is a good matchup, good situation for the 49ers. The line looks about right. I'll be looking to grab them live. I would actually lean towards – going over here, but I, I make it around 48, 48 and a half. Uh-huh. I think it's going to be higher scoring than you know, just my gut on looking at some of the matchups. But there's not the most amount of value in the number. What are you seeing here in this game? Anything in particular? Yeah, I mean, I was actually kind of considering the first half under just because of the time off and the extra rest and then San Francisco's agenda to run the ball. Uh, not to mention, according to PFF grades, uh, San Francisco's second in the league in special teams. I, I just think it's going to be a much slower paced game. Uh, and I think, you know, so far, you know, points, they've only, they've allowed less than 20 points per game. The Niners have. So uh, I just think everything with the time off and the, and the, and the will to, to want to rush in this game is the first half underplay for me. One piece of advice I'll give people, and look, the Browns, their secondary, they're, they're still missing three quarters of their secondary. You could have a lot worse backup corners than TJ Carey and Terrence Mitchell, but they still are not healthy. They don't have all of their starting secondary. And, you know, this is a more refined passing game. And Kittle over the middle could really give Mac Wilson a lot of trouble. I know Mac Wilson is very athletic, but he gets out of position easily. 49ers have a ton of pieces and talent on offense. Um, their backfield's now healthy with Matt Breida back. It's a good offense. The Browns still have questions on this defense. I think they're going to try and stop the run, just like they did against the Ravens. But it's going to open up some things on the outside and over the middle with Kittle. That Kittle matchup, he's going to get in the end zone. I think he's had some touchdowns robbed from him this year. I think that's a big one. But the question, how much can Miles Garrett impact the game against a backup tackle on the left side? And the 49ers offensive line has been, been a strength, but now you're losing your left tackle. And then on the defensive side for the 49ers, you know, Emmanuel Mosley, what can this kid do? And can the Browns take advantage of it? You know, the 49ers are going to play a lot of zone and maybe try to help them. San Fran safeties, I still don't trust. So then it just comes down to can the Browns give Baker Mayfield enough time and will he stay in the pocket? I think San Fran wins. I don't know if there's a ton of value in the number. And because I think that, you know, the Browns offense has pieces and they'll be able to do something against this 49ers secondary, I'd wait and hunt for a live number. And 
this is a, the best advice I can give to a recreational gambler. And then we'll move on from this, this game. We'll have a preview after it on the Action Network as well. But if there's a game on a Monday night or a Thursday night, a lot of people want to bet it, right? Just, you know, if you're not doing this to, for money and recreationally, and that's fine. If you don't really like anything or the person that you, you know, you trust that you follow or tell or listen to or read for insight doesn't really like anything, you don't have to force the game. And what you can do now with live betting is you can just say, all right, I think the 49ers are going to win this game. And, you know, based on what I see early, if I don't see anything differently than what I thought of, there's no injuries. If the Browns go up seven, you know, or if I can get the 49ers live at any point in time, I'm going to jump on it and then go into the game pretty much with a bet on it. Right. So you're interested in it. You're, you know, you're rooting against the 49ers early and you're trying to get that lead for the Browns. And, you know, so you have action on it. You can still be entertained and, you know, you're trying to get a number in a market that's becoming more and more efficient over time. You don't have to force it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as far as the Browns go in this situation, they've won and covered both games on the road. They've lost uh, and not covered both games at home. So uh, this is, wouldn't be a thing where I would want to uh, just assume that Cleveland's going cross country on travel, that this is not a place that they'll be up for. And this is the third time that they're going to be on in prime time in five weeks. That, that'll wrap up the NFL. Chris Raybon and I will be back on Thursday morning for our podcast on NFL week six. We'll cover Giants Patriots Thursday night. And then the whole Sunday slate. We'll also have our fantasy episode that comes out on Wednesday. And Colin, I'll be back here Thursday night recording for the week. Are we really at week seven already? I, I can't even believe we're week seven. I know the season goes to week 15 because there's the extra, there's the week zero and the double bye weeks, but I can't believe we're almost halfway, you know, done with this thing. Before we get into the college football recap and looking at Wednesday and Thursday night, weekday college football, let's get to your voicemails from this weekend. Bad beats, back doors, and miracle covers. However you're feeling, we want to hear from you. You have reached the voicemail box of the Action Network Podcast. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. Let's check this week's messages. This Todd from Jacksonville. Colin made us bet East Carolina in the second half. That is the worst f-ing team I have ever seen in my life. They could not move any yards, and they have the worst quarterback throwing ducks all over the f- yard but somehow because i saw colin put it on the action network podcast plays with push notifications when i'm drunk as watching baseball playoffs and these idiots somehow score a garbage touchdown to win us a couple units on the night i forgot to mention the goddamn lightning delay that we had to sit through for this cover but not only that now we have East Carolina, we're covering onside kicks. Trying to focus on the under two. I'm drunk. Have a good night. Uh, yeah, I had, so you had this East Carolina second half, the under, that play at the end, I didn't have it on sound. I mean, there was a lot going on, NFL, uh, MLB, so I didn't have it on sound. And I tweeted out, this is, you can tell how, how many times I've been hurt doing this for every day for 15 years. I said, Eastern Carolina is really taking timeouts right now. They're down, what, 10 or 17? I don't, I don't know how many they were down, but they were calling timeouts like three seconds ago. I said, all right, we just have to survive this play without a defensive touchdown. Tweeted it out. Here comes the play. Kid is just fo- tackled, falling out of bounds, decides to just go, eh, throw the ball forward. Some East Carolina player is on the ground, like somehow doesn't grab the ball and kind of whiffs at it. 
And then Temple picks it up and runs it back to the house. I say, you got to be fucking kidding me. And then I look over at my girl and I said, that, that didn't just happen. I was that- nonplussed. And then I looked at the score and it said final without the touchdown. And I said, this must not have counted. And then I tweeted out. Someone's like, dude, another whistle. I was like, oh my God, that was amazing gambling moment. Gambling it- moment of the year. It's impossible to watch this game and not think that the clock operator, the guy running the lights, everybody might have some sort of agenda. I mean, oh, yeah, well, we got new lights. We just installed them here. Uh, Glad we got them in just in time. But, I mean, to have a play like that come down, the side and the total, to come down at the very end. Am I missing a rule book? When, When do some of these things get whistled on these pitches? And when do some of them not? I know forward progress was stopped and they whistled it. But that is not consistent whatsoever. It's kind of like helmet to helmet in the NFL or roughing the passer. It's like it's one of these things. It's just complete determination by the zebras on the field. And I'm not questioning the motivation or I don't want to throw the NCAA any shade or anything. But these things are just so much gray area. It looked like the whistle was after. Barely. Are you willing to give up on your East Carolina conference future? I'm not willing to give up on the win total. But yeah, that whole win total, that whole conference future thing, that's that's shot. All right, let's move on. Western Michigan, you can eat with Stucky. you. Bradley from East Lansing. Hey, uh, I know Iowa. They don't allow any havoc. There was a best team in havoc allowed. So they're, you know, look look out for them. You know what else they're uh, the best at? Not scoring any points because they're terrible. Uh, all right. With Michigan, yeah, so Michigan gets a win in true hardball style. Win A big win, but not that big of a win. At home. As a favorite, you know, a three, three and a half, four point favorite over Iowa, 10 3. I am at the bar with a you know, bunch of games on. I must have looked at that game three times. I mean, talk about one of the most boring top 20 matchups, penalties all over, something Iowa never does. The only times I looked at it was like, oh, here's an Iowa penalty or an Iowa turnover. I think they had eight penalties for 60 yards. Michigan came through for us. I think you played – did you play the over here? Yeah, I did play the over here. And, I, you know, I know people are kind of bitching and upset about that. But, hey, you know what, first off, let's talk about Havoc Allowed and how I was pimping that out for Iowa being first in the nation. They dropped to 21st in the nation, and this was, honest to God, in the box score, the best defensive Michigan game they've had all season. They haven't been able to produce anything like this. I've never seen so many negative plays – from both teams in opponent territory in my life. Every time Iowa and Michigan got into opponent territory, they'd get to the 40, 35, or 30, they would immediately take a sack. They would run backwards. There would be a fumble. Iowa, 30 rushing attempts, one total yard, one total yard. It was ugly. It was the ugliest game ever. I saw the Iowa line come out of three and a half against Penn State. Cannot find a statistical or mathematic reason why I need to back Iowa and Kinnick at night against Penn State. Yes, it's the spot. Yes, it's there's some magic going on there the last couple of years in that stadium. And yes, Penn State may be so overblown. I saw a very famous power rating system come out today that had Penn State over Clemson. That's ridiculous. But if that play doesn't come in, it's because I just can't justify it through the math to back Iowa. Yeah. yeah crossing up the Big Ten results real quick. Wisconsin rolled Kent State. That was probably one of my worst calls in Kent State. They just – I mean, the funny thing is they almost trolled me. I hope – they didn't kick a field goal, but I said, look, would it surprise me if Wisconsin went 48-3? Am I right up? And they went 48-0. Taylor ran wild. Ohio State dominant again. I had the under and Michigan State. I could have gotten Michigan State to cover. They dropped the touchdown pass. But let's, let's just be honest here. Ohio State dominated. They had 529 yards, 7.1 yards per play. There was a couple plays that Michigan State missed that could have made the game a little closer. Could have covered, yeah. I think the line 
you know, looking back was probably about right, though. Ohio State is very good. Maryland rolls Rutgers. That's just what Maryland does, beating up on these bad teams. And Hey, celebrate. Rutgers got an offensive touchdown. That's the first one in Big Ten play. Uh, Sitkowski has redshirted himself. I saw that. I know. <laughs> it's And it doesn't look like the quarterback situation is getting any better. Penn State beats Purdue. Doesn't cover if you get it late. I thought they were about to win mm-hmm. 100-0. They were up 21-0 in the first quarter. And no, nothing happened. I, I, tweet, uh, I tweeted this out uh, during, after the game. If you have a power rating system that is based upon the final score and the gap of the final score, if you're taking total points for and against into making a power rating, Penn State's going to break your model. Uh, Purdue had 90 yards. And Penn State almost had 500. Purdue 1.7 yards per play, but covered if you got the late crazy number of 28 and a half. Minnesota, row the boat, stays oh. undefeated. They will host Nebraska. If they win that game, very winnable game, they're probably going to 8-0 to set up a home game. They'll be undefeated in November, a home game with Penn State on November 9th because after they host Nebraska, they have Rutgers and Maryland at home. And then Nebraska and Northwestern play another good game. Good call on the under there. Nebraska pulls it out 13-10. You know the kicker situation there, right? I've got some family that, that has Nebraska ties, and my, my family members pat me on the back and, and telling me uh, Nebraska has uh, run through so many kickers and had so many injuries. They tried the punter last week. The punter was unable to kick anything. So now this week, a safety transfer from Air Force is now the field goal kicker for Nebraska, and he nails the game winner. Yeah, he missed a 29-yarder, I believe, in the game, too. But he got the yeah, winner. He got the big one. <laughs> um, which is all that matters, and Nebraska gets a win. Um, all right, let's get back to the voicemails here. Yeah, it's Mike from California. Man, can we please take it easy with uh, these coaches used to know each other's stuff? A few weeks ago, Dabo used to give the Charlotte head coach noogies or something, so the last thing he wants to do is run up the score, right? And this week, Paul Chris used to help pour baby powder into Sean Lewis's jockstrap in the locker room back in 2007. I mean, did anybody tell Jonathan Taylor that? Does he care? I mean, are we sure this is a thing? If you have inside information on a coach going deep sea fishing with Jim McElwain or something, please just save it. Not interested. Don't care. 6.30 to 7 Eastern has been a giant Sarah McLaughlin commercial. Buffalo, Central Michigan, Air Force. The only good thing about this day is that October season is in full effect. I want to go into bet regret there. Every gambler knows that feeling. Let's talk bet regret. Yeah, my bet regret's probably Iowa State. I just can't figure out TCU. But, yeah, Brocktober's here. It was a good spot to buy Iowa State on the cheap. They had two losses that could have both been wins against good teams. So that was my bet regret. Uh, how about you? Do you want to get into your bet regret real quick? Yeah, my bet regret is Tulane. I mean, you've been talking about Tulane all season, and, and I've played Tulane a couple times this season, but I have not given them the proper amount of love that you've been giving them since the middle of the summer. You know, against Army, you're going to have to have a good stuff rate, a good uh, power success rate. You're going to have to be able to fill the trenches, uh, cover the quarterback, cover the option. Uh, Tulane is, I believe, in the top 25 in all of those categories on defense. They have a very explosive offense. Uh, that's going to play into uh, uh, the UConn. UConn is probably one of the worst teams in the nation in defending explosiveness. Shocker. I think this has been said the last couple of years. But that point spread of 33, while it is spot on for Tulane, I don't think it's enough because Tulane's defense is just menacing in the front seven, and their offense is extremely explosive, whether it's ground or air. And by the way, it is never easy to fade Army. It's torture every time I do it. Oh. And they were up 21 with like five minutes to go. How do you not 
that's the lock, right? But Army scores a touchdown. Tulane fumbles it. Army returns it for a touchdown. And they're down nine, which is worst case scenario for me if they score a touchdown because I'm like two and a half and three. So the Army is down nine. I know if they get the ball back, they're just going to go. If they get this onside kick, and the onside kick is a, a scrum, and all these bodies – and I'm like, there's no way the Army, an Army kid isn't coming out with the ball. Somehow Tulane did. Army got the ball back in like the final seconds. But I do want to say to the kid on uh, talking about Wisconsin, yeah, Wisconsin rolled. I said, look, they might win 48 nothing. The goal isn't it 100% here. The angle there is that Chris would take out his starters, which he did. And I, you know, I thought maybe a little earlier. I didn't think they would come out in the second half, which is where – the cap that basically happened. I mean, I mean, the Kent State was awful. They couldn't get anything going on offense. But here's what we have to remember about Wisconsin. Their backup running backs are terrible. They can't run the ball. Jonathan Taylor's one of the best running backs in the country. The drop-off, once you take him out of the game, is enormous. But he came out in the second half, and he was averaging 10 yards a carry. His backups were about half that. And, you know, so that was the, the angle there. All right, before we finish up the voicemails, let's just go into best call, worst call. My best call is, I'll say Tulane, Texas Tech early, and then Florida. We will get to Florida and Bo Nix in a voicemail coming up here shortly. Worst call, Kent State, the MAC. I Western Michigan, and I had the over there. I was convinced both teams are getting the 40. But I'm still mad that Ball State won out right out of first half, and uh, they did nothing in that first half. Ohio wins by one in overtime also. I was laying points with them, and that was the only thing I did not need to happen. It was a missed extra point, too, which made it worse. And yeah, everything, and everything in the MAC is probably my worst call, except Central Michigan. Uh, but yeah, the Western Michigan Toledo score, it costs our money line parlay again. We go one for two again, somehow. Uh, how about you? Best call, worst call? Yeah, I'm going to go with best call being uh, the over 44 on Iowa State TCU. I had that on my radar anyways, because my totals actually projected this in the 60s. As far as totals for week seven, that'll probably be up sometime around the end of Monday. So you guys can look for that before totals are widely available for everyone. And the total dipped down to over 44 because of a fear of weather. That was the big theme in last week's uh, totals was weather in Iowa, weather in Kansas. Uh, and then they moved the game out a couple hours and immediately took the over 44. But it didn't even matter because Iowa State scored 49, 49 to eclipse the game total by themselves. You're right. Can't figure TCU out. Probably the worst call that I have, I could turn around and say that the over 47 in Iowa, Michigan. But if you count the number of times I got into opponent territory, I'm not really sure how far I was from the total considering almost every drive got into opponent territory. It just never turned out to be points. Uh, so I'll go with my worst call. It's probably a tie between Georgia Tech in the first half against, uh, against UNC. Uh, UNC was up 17-0 leading at halftime. Uh, Georgia Tech is <laughs> so tremendously unef- inefficient, uh, incapable of execution. They truly don't care if they win or lose a game. It's all about establishing the culture. I don't know how you lay any money in backing them in any situation for the rest of the season. Uh, but I'm going to go with Utah State. Uh, I mean, LSU just put that game out of hand. They put it out of hand fast, too. It wasn't even close. Kept a really good Utah State offense to only six points, which is impressive considering it was 11 a.m. local kick. Yep. Um, all right, before we get back to the voicemails, I, I, it's time for my rant of the week. All right, let it out. This is your rant of the week. Can we please stop with the fucking returned onside kicks in college football? There's no need for it. If you recover an onside kick late, it's, that's it. The game is fucking over. They do it right in the NFL. You shouldn't be able to return. And they, all these rules for the onside kick in the NFL are brutal, by the way, for the team kicking it. It's like impossible to get it now. You're all spread out and it's brutal. But you know, they at least don't let you return it. We need someone to worry about the health, sanity, and well-being of the betters out there. It's becoming legal now. 
this is not right. It happened to us in Louisiana Tech twice in the last couple of years, and then it happened this week at UNLV. UNLV plus 24 and a half. They score a touchdown to make it 31-13. And, you know, they kick an extra point here, and you go down 31-14, and there's a minute 50 to go. So you kick an extra point, you get down 31-14, you can't lose. It doesn't even matter if Boise scores another touchdown. You're plus 24 and a half. You want to be misses the extra point. So now it's 31-13. So you're down 18, a touchdown. If it somehow happened, you would lose by 25. Well, they kick an onside kick, and Boise State returns it to the six-yard line, returned it 40 yards. They could take knees. They did it against Marshall. They didn't. <laughs> they ran it in, first and goal, touchdown. Boise 38, UNLV 13. Please just stop these. Someone has to start. I'll start a petition. These return onside kicks are brutal. Absolutely brutal. Shout out to Tulsa who did it the hard way. SMU allowed a kickoff to roll by their <laughs> their back returner. They rolled into the end zone and uh, Tulsa recovered it for a kickoff touchdown. That was one of my low points of the night. I was like, wow, <laughs> SMU is going to lose now too. And then they made a miracle comeback. Still my number one. And I do. Uh, I didn't say my best calls. I got to say fading UMass. UMass is now back to still the new UConn, but UConn's also still UConn and Akron is the new UMass is the new UConn if you can follow all that. They all stink. But UMass, FIU finally got a cover. Yeah, FIU won 44 nothing. The UMass starting quarterback, Curtis, went 5 of 19 for 66 yards, no touchdowns, and two picks. That's a solid day at the office. UMass finished with 48 plays for 115 total yards. FIU had 541. That is the definition of a truck. Speaking of all these horrible teams, I don't know much about soccer, but we need to bring in this relegation style to NCA. Can you imagine? Like, you have the six worst teams. Actually, you do, like, the ten worst teams. So, you know, we'll use the Action Network power rankings, whoever finishes 121 to 130. And then you have a ten team, I guess, to, yeah, eight. We'll do the bottom eight. And then you just have a playoff, and you lose that game, you're out, you're relegated, and we bring in someone from the FCS. We can do it in the NFL, too. Um, all right, let's finish voicemails here. Just finishing up, listening to the night of Columbus, Ryan Day, finished up his press conference, talking about how sorry Michigan State is and how sorry Stucky's pick was at plus 20. That's about all I got for you guys. F***ing Bodog Jim. Just watch FMU. Got that money line parlay, about nine-teamer. Still waiting for Washington, but holy shit. Thank God that kicker rolled around the ground like a little girl playing soccer. His parents should be disappointed. Let's go, Degenerate Nation. Hey, it's Martin from Chicago. I just wanted to send out a shout-out to our buddy in, in his trailer in Alabama and let him know it's tough to, to tell the time and the date in the friendly state of uneducation, but apparently Bo Nick Satan only goes through the end of September because it's not Bo Nick Satan. This is Jason from Cleveland. I just wanted to say Bo Nick Satan Oh, next season. Colin Stuckey is your favorite Auburn fan. Just watch the rest of this game. It was absolutely terrible. I bet Stuckey's got to call his doctor because his erection's lasting longer than eight hours after seeing Bo Nix throw multiple picks. He's got to be just excited. 
for the record, that's the first time he's thrown an interception since week one, and that's all that my Bo Nick season in full effect was ever about. I never f***ing said he was some world beater or anything. You guys nitpicked his yardage after that, and he threw for 325 yards, which he completely discarded, but whatever. But you guys are just all f***ing circle f***ing out there. I just lost my f***ing mighty, but just one game, whatever, if we win out, if we win one of our two home games in LSU, we still make it to the playoffs, so fuck you guys, fuck Alabama, fuck Florida, this terrible game from Bo Nix, Bo f***ing picks, can't believe you guys backed Florida though, didn't give any kind of credit to Auburn, gave all the love to Florida, even though they played Tennessee and Tennessee Martin and UK with a beat up quarterback and we had played two ranked teams in five games and your f***ing two lane team that you guys had a boner for but anyways f- you sucky I hope you f***ing made all your money back that you lost in the first five weeks great podcast love you hey this is Zach from Kansas and it's Sunday morning so that means you sit here and regret all Stucky's terrible picks from Saturday but then you go ahead and blindly follow him on Sunday because he can only win money in the NFL so here we go let's have us a Sunday well, that didn't work out for you today, buddy. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. <laughs> so yeah, we have to talk about Bo Nix. We have to talk about Auburn, Florida. And look, I don't have a boner right now. We were, we were giving credit to Auburn, man. Their front seven is legit. Bo Nix is going to be fine, but he's just not ready yet to win a game at the Swamp. He was awful. The game in general was awful. I was really excited to see what these teams had cooked up, and it was just an ugly game. I mean, Florida was trying to keep Auburn alive. Uh-huh. You know, Nick's finished 11 of 27 for 145 yards, a touchdown and three picks. It was not pretty. Trask was, you know, pretty efficient, 19 to 31, 234, two touchdowns, no picks. I mean, that's one of your the main differences in the game. Uh, total yards, 398 for Florida, 269 for Auburn. Uh, I mean, Florida deserved to win the game. And, you know, you just never really were afraid of Auburn moving the ball down the field. And they had, what, two, y- two first downs for, like, most of the game. They were 2 of 14 on third down. Anything there on Florida Auburn? I never had a beef with Bo Nix the entire season. I knew that Oregon in the backfield and Oregon being 21st and sack rate, they're the ones that gave Bo Nix the hardest time this season and were able to get a couple of interceptions as a result of the pressure. Uh, you know, and if you look at the defensive box score for both teams, I mean, my biggest nightmare is Derek Brown running down the field with the ball. I don't know how many times I saw that happen. But, I mean, there was plenty of pressures on the quarterbacks. Trask just handled it better. If you take away the plays from Pirine on the ground, you take away from Swain through the air, I mean, those couple big plays were the actual difference in the game, uh, you know, keeping Auburn from able to come back. And for the longest time, you thought that this game was going to be, you know, it was a 17-13. You thought it would get into that two, two and a half range and what number did you get? But uh, Florida was able to to pull away there. And the big thing, part of it was havoc. And, uh, you know, Auburn's offensive line has just not been able to get people out of the backfield. And Auburn's offensive line and their run blocking has not been able to establish a very nasty run game. Here's the point of all this. Yes, Auburn could win out, make their way to the SEC championship game. Their destiny is in their own hands. You are not beating Alabama unless you have a solid run game. 
That is their huge weakness. And Auburn's not that team that has the run game. Um, top 25, you know, we saw UCF go down. Oak State lays an egg in Lubbock, goes down 45-35. We're, we're just going to skip over the whole, the whole me taking UCF and the Cincinnati and the hot garbage uh, Gabriel in, in the red zone. What, what the hell is going on, Central Florida? What is wrong with you guys, huh? When I decide to, you know, join the public and swim with the fish and back you guys, and you just completely implode in the red zone. Why is Daryl Mack Jr. not running all the plays? Intercepted at the two, intercepted at the six. A pick six. As much as as much money as I made on the East Carolina backdoor lights out, pitchy pitchy whistle whistle. Got it all taken away there with that. Just Dylan Gabriel having a hell of a time in the red zone. One of these weeks you'll beat me on a Friday head to head. Never right. will. I never will. Texas beats West Virginia. I, I took a bad number with ten and a half, but mm. I got it late in the week and I saw ten and a half. West Virginia had four hundred sixty-three yards. Texas had four twenty-seven. West Virginia six point seven yards per play. Texas you, 5.2. I can't believe West, West Virginia. One for three on field goals. I mean, I don't know how West Virginia didn't cover. I didn't take anything off of the Texas uh, uh, power rating because this was just a spot. Everybody was hurt. You got OU next week. You didn't have to play to the best of your capability to win this game. They did just enough to, to win and, and keep it you know, from being backdoored. Texas and Oklahoma this week. I mean, this is going to be a huge topic on Thursday, but I still think the intensity against LSU is the same thing they're going to bring to OU. Keontae's Ingram is probably going to be the deciding factor in me making a play in this because he left the game. If you want to beat OU, if you're looking in the numbers and the explosive and explosive numbers now, nobody's throwing deep on OU. They're getting gashed on the ground. And Keontae Ingram is not like a big play, you know, 70 yard back, but he represents the best thing that they've got out of the backfield. Keontae Ingram's health this week should be monitored at, at all times. Talked about Florida beating Auburn. Georgia beats Tennessee and covers. They outscored Tennessee fourteen nothing in the fourth quarter, to including a, uh, a defensive touchdown. Four minutes left, second and fifteen. They were at the Georgia thirty, and it was thirty six fourteen. They're down by twenty two. I was like, all right, well if they score, they cover, and the game goes over. But there's no way I could lose both. And sack ref gets in the way, and they return it. All the way. Tennessee didn't play terrible, uh, but nothing really to take much of that game. Oklahoma slow start, but wins by 25, failing to cover against Kansas. Notre Dame, they do end up covering over Brian Van Gorder, uh, the fighting Brian Van Gorders. Is that what polling BG stands for? <laughs> Brian Van Gorder. Notre Dame just uh, did whatever they wanted, almost 10 yards per play. Bowling Green is pathetic. Oregon in a, a low scoring game. I should have played the under. Part of the bet regret 17 7 over Cal. And then the shocking score of the day to me, Stanford-Washington. Stanford, the line got steamed down to 12 before kick. Stanford beats Washington 23-13. And Costello didn't play. You had Mills starting for Stanford. Eason was 16 of 36 for 200 yards. Washington had 294 yards. Stanford only, almost had 500. What, I, what happened in that game? What, what alternate universe – that was that game played in? Did uh, McCaffrey play in that game? Like, what, what, what the <laughs> hell love. happened? How did Stanford – did you watch it? I Actually, I did not watch it. All I know is, is Washington could never take the lead. I, I graded it and, and marked Washington down appropriately. I don't know what to do with Stanford because they got a downgrade from KJ Costello to Mills. Do I move it back up with Costello uh, when he comes back? Are they changing the offense for that? The defense, like, they, they had no problems moving the ball whatsoever. They, they could never be stopped. I thought Washington's defense was – uh, decent, uh, but Stanford had no problems moving the ball. 
Yep. Um, any box score frauds you want to bring up before we get to the weekday games? But before I get to box score frauds, I just want to do a shout out to somebody that's highly respected on Twitter that got into my DMs and asked me what the hell my thinking was by taking Pitt against Duke. And I oh went Oh boy, in, that got I, dicey. So I don't know how they gave up that lead. <laughs> I just want to say that I went into my entire diatribe about defending explosiveness, Kenny Pickett, uh, Mark Whipple. I got into all of it. Why I love Pitt. Oh, and by the way, I've said this for a month now. Uh, the market and the odds makers have not been able to catch up to Pitt. I don't know what the problem is. I had this line Duke minus one, open seven, came down to four, and I had a very uh, somebody that everybody knows in my DMs telling me this is a really bad spot to be fading Duke because Cutcliffe can run circles around Narduzzi. Just want to say hello. How are you? So hello from the other side. Uh, Pitt won by three. Uh, I think the market will finally catch up to them once that they uh, come off their bye week, go uh, play Syracuse. The market will adjust, but I mean, it's just been a fun month back in Pitt. Vanderbilt doesn't cover again, gets trucked at Old Mess. It's just, that program's a sad state of affairs. UCLA gets blown out at home by Oregon State. Uh, odd score given Oregon State almost put up fifty. Congratulations on the on the conference win. I mean, they, I mean, they've been jonesing for that for a while. Yep. Uh, yeah. But box score frauds. What do you got? And now, box score frauds. Yeah, box score frauds. We talked about Cincy. We talked about West Virginia. Texas had uh, uh, less yards, but they also had uh, 10 more plays. So West Virginia's four picks, and Texas is perfect in the red zone. But yeah, no, Texas had no business covering that game. The Ball State's attracting sharp money early in the week, fast. Like, their numbers are moving, and it happened again today. The number, I completely adjusted the number today, uh, and it opened up a pick, and I was on them immediately because it did not match what I had for their game coming up this week. But same thing last week. I mean, both teams had 74 74 plays. Uh, Northern Illinois had 388 yards. Ball State had 269. Northern Illinois led 17-3 to at the half. Four of the five scoring drives in the second half for Ball State started in Northern Illinois territory. I still have not been able to figure it out why Ball State, uh, it's it's taking obviously respected money because that line is moving every single week. They had 3.7 yards per play. They scored 27 points, 24 of them, which came the second half. Their quarterback, Plitt, finished 4-14 for 34 yards and a pick. And they scored 27 points. Yeah. Very fortunate win. Yeah, they started like from the opponent 30 every time. It, I, I can't figure out what the love is with this team. But yeah, Miami had 230 more yards on 15 more plays than Virginia Tech. Uh, still lost the game. Uh, five turnovers total. Jaron Williams had three uh, INTs. Perry came in. Nikosi Perry, our old friend Nikosi Perry, who can't seem to carry the ball close to his body and lots of likes to let it hang out. He played the rest of the game. Uh, he also got picked off. Uh, this was the first time the turnover chain was not used in a home game since its creation. This, I mean, Miami dominated. They had 563 yards to Vatex 337. But how did their defensive line just not create turnovers? I mean, on this is a defensive line last year that got in the backfield. Front seven, they got in the backfield as much as anyone, and they were playing a Vatex off its line. It was a nightmare. I mean, Vatex obviously got really lucky. The question to come will be, do we buy low in Miami on home on Friday night against Oof. Virginia? That'll be later in the week. I can't buy Miami and Dan Enos. I'll just leave it at that. I mean, it's, it's just – Anything else you want to mention before we get to third? Yeah, Middle Middle Tennessee had 177 less yards and 15 less plays. Uh, Marshall had three INTs and a fumble. Uh, Asher O'Hara doubled any other running backs uh, total. Uh, The quarterback there is doing amazing things for middle. Georgia State put 722 yards on 99 plays up against Arkansas State. Arkansas State only had 20 minutes of of possession. Something's going on. I like. We thought they come. We they'd come back with their new transfer quarterback from Alabama, but uh, Georgia State put up 722. Well, they lost Uh, another another starting defender. I mean, their injuries are brutal. 
Yeah, the last one we mentioned, uh, Liberty had 60 less yards on four more plays in New Mexico State, and they had benefited from three Aggies turnovers. Yeah, including one, a fumble at the goal line at the end of the game that would have covered. Yeah. That was fun. So let's move on to the weekday games. Why wait for the weekend? Strap in your fun belts and get ready for Maction. It's midweek madness. We have Wednesday night football, people. Huge. Huge. Get excited, and it's a great game. Four and one, Louisiana Lafayette. The Raging Cage is one of our favorite teams this year. Team I have a future on in the conference. Yeah, just a team I love the upside in of running juggernaut. There's the trio of running backs came back. Just a, an electric running game. And if you look at yards per rush, Oklahoma averages seven point eight coming into this weekend, and Louisiana Lafayette was. A, 7.4. That's second in the nation. I had a Georgia. Um, and Louisiana Lafayette, it's, you know, they've played, you know, some tough teams. They played Mississippi State and, you know, Georgia Southern, Ohio, Texas Southern, Liberty. They haven't played any FCS teams. But this is a team that's going to run on anybody. Appalachian State comes in undefeated as well. If you look at their rushing numbers, which is always their rush defense numbers, which is always important when you play Louisiana, they don't look great. I think they're like 88th, 90th. Uh-huh. in the country when yards per rush app state I'm referring to. But you have to remember they played Charlotte, good running team, LeMay, Coastal Carolina in their option attack, and North Carolina. Uh-huh. They held, you know, Coastal Carolina to 4.4 yards per carry under their season average. They did allow Charlotte to run for 5.8. They held North Carolina under four. So it's not as bad as you might think. But that'll be a huge story in this game. App State's going to run it a bunch, too. These teams have been playing at a similar pace, 60-40 run-to-pass split. Are we going back to our Raging Cajuns who have covered every game this year? Or are you rolling with the road mountaineers here headed down to Cajun territory? What do you see? Yeah, we are absolutely backing uh, the Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns here. Uh, the number says that Appalachian State should be uh, one-point favorites, but we're going to throw that out here. And the reason is because ULL, we'll see what the numbers say this week, but they are the most explosive rushing team in the nation, and I don't think that it's even close. If you look at their stats on Football Outsiders, top five and everything that could be a rushing category uh, as far as power success rate, opportunity rate, stuff. Right? I mean, everything. They're, they are so fantastic and they're getting chunk yards. They are they are the best at running the ball. I mean, juggernaut is not even a word for the Sun Belt. I mean, for all a group of five, whoever these guys get in a bowl, if they don't, if the team that they face in a bowl does not have, let's say they go to the RNL Carriers Bowl and they get somebody from CUSA, if they get somebody that doesn't have a rush defense, they will run wild. My problem with App State, now you're right, you know, straight of schedule so far. They're both around mid-pack. Uh, App State's a little bit uh, higher than uh, Lafayette so far, but App State has not shown at all any kind of the offensive explosiveness or offensive efficiency. Even the efficiency, if you look at some of the splits, uh, you know, their, their total offense is only 56th in the nation. Uh, you know, their lar- yards per play are, are just outside the top 25. Uh, that's different for App State. New coach, Drinkwitz, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a, you know, smart offensive mind from NC State, but his system that he ran at NC State is not the system. does not fit here. Yeah. It doesn't fit at App State whatsoever, and it's just not really translated in the numbers yet, and Louisiana is the more explosive offense. Now, if you're asking about their defense, it's hot garbage. I don't know how the, the Louisiana Lafayette team is able to defend App State because 126, 128th, 123rd. We're talking stuff rate, power success rates, the uh, worst in the nation. So I don't know how the defense stops, but at the same time, ULL has the most explosive offense in this game. I was able to get it today upon release on minus one. 
Uh, so if we're talking about power ratings and things, FPI is going to be a little bit above three. Uh, SP plus came out today. I know a lot of people trust that it's at a pick. Uh, and I made this app state minus one. So as far as ULL, if you look into the advanced stats, they're the more explosive team. You probably want to stop at a key number like three, which is where it sits at here late as we record Sunday night. So if you wake up on Monday and you hear the podcast and it's three and a half, I'd probably look around for a three. Now saying all that, there are people that are going to wake up and look at app state and they're going to look at SP plus being a pick and they're going to say, Oh, Mountaineers app state, the Sunbelt champions every year. And you're giving me points. I'll take that all day. I think there's going to be a wave of app state money here. I'm not sure this number goes so much farther past three. I think this number going from pick to minus three is a result of people like myself throwing money at, at ULL because we know what we see with the offense. So I think there's going to be buyback here because if you just take a college football fan that doesn't pay attention to the advanced stats, they would take Appalachian State getting three points in any Sunbelt game. That's a, it's probably going to be a good game to bet live, too, because there's going to be points here. Uh, there's not going to be any defense on the Cajun side, I can tell you that. Yep. All right. And then Thursday night we have two games, Syracuse, NC State. Uh, you know, NC State's a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Two teams that uh, I really just have no interest in backing haven't done a lot to – just in general. Look, they haven't done – neither has done much to impress me. There's obviously a lot. Of, they're both three and two on the year. They have a lot of weak areas. No, it doesn't mean I won't back either one of them this week, but just two teams that are just unappetizing me. They play each other 8 o'clock Thursday night. And then the other game, at, I think it's like a 9-15 start down in San Marcos. The prairie skies are wide and high. Deep in the heart of Texas. Texas State, our oh Bobs. The two and three Bobs are hosting the two and three Warhawks of La Monroe. Uh, so NC State is a short home favorite. Texas State as a short home dog. Any interest in either? Yeah, I took NC State minus three today. The reason of that was because of our Havoc ratings that should be out in the morning on the Action Network. If you take a, a deep dive in there, both teams are really high rated in the Havoc area. Syracuse came in at 19th. Uh, North Carolina came in at 25th. So both are top 25 teams in defensive Havoc. The problem is Syracuse's offensive line and offense in general is 96th in Havoc allowed. So NC State at home, the home team playing on a weeknight, is going to be able to generate turnovers. They're going to get tackles for loss. They're going to be in the backfield of Syracuse all day. Uh, and that's really been Syracuse's problem all season. So this was a play for me at minus three. Uh, the number I have power rated at minus five and a half. So I like the number still at the current three and a half that I see in most of the shops. I'm not sure. If, I think people think Syracuse may be the Syracuse from the last two years, and they're not. So if you want to sit and wait for a three, might not be a bad idea, but uh, I would play this up to five on game day. As far as ULM and Texas State, I mean, this, you know, got to have this game if you if you have any Sunbelt aspirations whatsoever, although I don't know if anybody can beat ULL, and I definitely don't think Texas State's defense is built to beat ULL. But, you know, as far as this, I make this game a pick. I think the number is too high right now. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out during the week. There's definitely going to be a play on this. Uh, on the app as we go, whether it be a total or whether it be a side. But I do think the number, as far as the power ratings go, is a little bit too high. Texas State coming off of a bye. ULM just had, I think, 89 plays against Memphis. So I'm not sure how fatigued ULM will be in this game. Yeah, we'll have write-ups on all of the games during the week. But, but I do want to say on the Sun Belt with our ULL futures, this, look, the Sun Belt is bad. There's a lot of teams that are a lot worse than I thought they were going to be. It's a lot of it is injuries, but no, you know, South Alabama, like Georgia Southern. <laughs> yeah. Like the South Georgia Southern is a train wreck. Uh, so I thought they were going to be better, but their offensive lines had some injuries and that's really what has led to the, the destruction of their offense. But if you look at the, 
the Sun Belt will be the East versus West winners. I mean, App State is in a division with Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Coastal, and Troy. Uh-huh. I can't see them not winning that. And then Louisiana Lafayette, Texas State, La Monroe, Arkansas State, and South Alabama. I mean, this this game on Wednesday night will probably be a preview of the conference championship game, uh, just to throw that out there. I do want to say for all those who are listening, obviously, if you go to the Action app, you can go and take a look at any of the games for next week. You can choose your book. You can set line alerts, which are really important. Just I, I just want to stress that again. So if you, you know, you see Oklahoma, Texas right now, Texas is a nine and a half point dog for mm. this game in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. So if you want to say, look, I like Texas, but it's a nine and a half, kind of a dead zone, unless it touches the 10, 10 and a half. I want to know as soon as it hits 10, 10 and a half, go in to alerts. And then you can say, send me an alert whenever the spread moves. Send me an alert whenever the um, total moves. I mean, those are just really important things to do and it can make the difference between a win and a loss. That's one of the two big games. The other game is LSU Florida, which we'll get to all in depth. LSU a 13 and a half point favorite at home against Florida. Penn State at Iowa, another big game. And then we can actually talk about you know Michigan State at Wisconsin. It's a good weekend. USC at Notre Dame. And uh-huh. we can actually talk about Alabama football Again, they are their month and a half long buy is over. They're at A and M is an eighteen point favorite. We'll talk about if that's too high or not later in the week. We'll go through the entire slate. Thanks for listening, Colin. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, you know, rate, review, subscribe. You know, you know the drill. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. We appreciate you listening. Voicemails are open all during the week. If there's a losing weekday, call in, scream, yell. But good luck and thanks for listening. Cheers. Peace out.